This is Olympic champion Scott Hamilton. Yes, the real Scott Hamilton. And you're listening to the other Scott Hamilton show where you should be entertained, informed, and maybe even amused. Just don't expect any backflips. I mean, have you seen him skate? Dabo, going to get $11.5 million a year over the next 10 years. I wish I'd have taken the time to figure out what that would be in, like, nickels or something. I mean, you could build a house out of those nickels, probably, if you think about it. And glue them together or something. Maybe some kind of a gorilla glue. To get a gorilla glue sponsorship and we build, like, a little model house out of nickels. And see how that works out. 10-year extension, going to go through 2031. Ten and a half this year, twelve point five at the end. So a lot of uh, a lot of cheddar cheese. So now we have six guys in this uh, fraternity, the ten million dollar club: Saban, Ryan Day, Kirby, Brian Kelly, Mel Tucker. Would, would Mel Tucker be the founding father of it? I'm wondering. I guess maybe Saban was slightly ahead of the curve for that. Crazy market. When does it correct itself? That's what I'm wondering. We're going to ask our guest, excellent sports business reporter for Front Office Sports, Amanda Kristovich. Amanda, welcome aboard. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Appreciate you coming on, Amanda. And I I get the email this morning about Dabo getting this massive extension. And I'm shocked that I'm not shocked, maybe, because this is the way things are trending. What's your take? How To what do we attribute the exorbitant amounts being paid to these coaches now? I think I attribute a couple things. The first would be that, I mean, it, it's clear that, that this is the market rate for the top um, football coaches in the Power Five. Um, you know, the economists will tell you that, um, you know, in this country, the, the market value is, is what anyone is willing to pay. And clearly the top programs are willing to pay, um, you know, 10 million or more for the top coaches. Um, But, you know, there's sort of a behind the scenes reason that they're able to do that. And that is um, because of the way that revenue in the power five has ballooned because of these TV contracts, which I know we're going to talk about in a second. Um, the revenue has ballooned to an astronomical amount. And unlike in the pros, um, the teams don't have to give any of that revenue to players, right? In the NFL, you've got to pay your players. So I think that's sort of this perfect storm that has gotten us to uh, where we are now. But can you, and and again, we are going to get to these TV deals, but can you envision a world where, the players are going to get a piece of that TV money and, and the coaches contracts are going to level off to a certain degree. And it will reflect more of an NFL type pay structure where to my knowledge, there's no coach that makes more than his quarterback. Absolutely. Um, I think that's, that's absolutely where we're headed. There are multiple forces um, that are sort of in the works, legal forces. There are folks in Congress who want to mandate that NCAA schools, pay players a cut of revenue. There's a court case right now in Pennsylvania 
that could go all the way up to the Supreme Court that would deem athletes employees. The National Labor Relations Board under the Biden administration has come out and said they would be in favor of deeming athletes employees. Um, you know, and and whether or not they're deemed employees, um, everyone from you know the CFP executive director to Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren has at least you know said they they are open to considering uh, creating a structure where media rights revenue is shared with players. So I mean, to me, it's an inevitability. It's just a question of when and who who enforces it. Is that the first step, though? Would the first step be forming a union? And, and if so, how would that go about and who would be in charge? It could be. Um, so I think, I think the interesting thing here about um, whether athletes are going to get a cut of media rights revenue specifically, um, I mean, theoretically, you would want a collective bargaining unit to address that, but it might not necessarily be a requirement. Um, the beauty for everyone of giving athletes a cut of media rights revenue is they might not need to be deemed employees. The schools could just say, we're going to give this is a, or the conferences. This is a benefit that we're going to give the players. Um, and they're not going to be considered employees, but we're going to give them a cut of media rights revenue. If they are considered employees, um, then, you know, a union, it's weird, right? Because a union, um, in, a, in the private sector is governed by the National Labor Relations Board, but in the public sector, it's governed by the states. And as we know, there are public schools and private schools. So it's a little unclear as to who would be um, the sort of arbiter of, of a major collective bargaining unit. Um, but it, you know, I, I mean, maybe there's an unofficial collective bargaining unit. Um, there, there are lots of different ideas floating around. Um, but we don't need a union for athletes to get a cut of media revenue, that's for sure. So would national letters of intent then be replaced by out-and-out contracts? Ooh, maybe. Maybe. Um, you know, I, 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 that's an interesting idea, and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was where we were headed because that's, you know, that's how uh, unions operate. Um, there's also the question of, you know, that way you can fire a player, right? You can uh, you can cut a player because you can do that in the in the pros. But you can kind of still do that now. You can revoke a scholarship. They're not always guaranteed, right? If an athlete gets gets hurt, you know. So um, the fine print might be different, but the general dynamics might not be so so dissimilar to what we have now. I, I had a model a few months ago, Amanda, that I thought was a interesting would it happen no but i would like to see it come to life where if you were a student athlete and you were going to a university you would have a choice of one of two tracks you could either go the usual track where you get a scholarship and you're afforded some minimal benefits and all that or you would have another track that was more professional route where you would be paid more but there would be various stipulations involved with that perhaps even performance-based stipulations involved with that wouldn't that be a nice world world but i guess my question then becomes why would you pick one track versus the other right i mean because then my question is where does your your college education fit in to the second professionalized track i don't i don't know why anyone would, would pick a non-professionalized track so long as they could still um go to school and get a degree right um 
so, you know, and, and this is also in the weeds, but which athletes are going to have the choice to do this? Because it's not just football players who are generating money. It's basketball players. In many places, volleyball players, gymnasts, women's basketball players are also generating more money for the university than they're actually being given credit for. So who is going to be given that option is, is, is another question to consider as well. We're joined by Amanda Kristovich, front office sports. Follow her on Twitter at A Kristovich. Amanda, what have you done? Are you okay? I hear a siren. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm in New York City, so, you know, there's a siren about every 30 seconds. But uh, <laughs> I'm good for now. Well, just a few more minutes of your time, please. You have an excellent article on frontofficesports.com, and it really caught my attention. It was the headline, Expanded CFP Media Rights Could Double Current Deal. The number you throw out there is $2.2 billion. Now, we're just coming off the Big Ten making that massive, massive deal with Fox or whomever, their entire media rights package, Mm -hmm. a little more than $1 billion. But since we got that news, we also learned that the college football playoff plans to expand within a couple of years to 12 teams. Kind of work me through what happened during that entire time to get you to this $2.2 billion. Absolutely. So, um, oh, another siren. I worked on that story with my brilliant colleague, Mike McCarthy, who is sort of our media guru um, at Front Office Sports. And, um, and we sort of said, okay, well, obviously, if you're going to have a uh, 12-team playoff versus a 14-team playoff, then the media rights value is going to go up some astronomical amount, right? Um, and then you couple that with the fact that there's already existing records being set with um, not even playoff uh, competition, just regular conference play, right? Um So, you know, we did a little digging and, um, you know, the experts suggest that um, in 2026, a media package that, by the way, could be ESPN exclusive like it is now, or it could be an NFL-style package with multiple networks um, like Fox, like NBC, like CBS, could yield an average of $2.2 billion a year. And that is going that that would make it the large, you know, be the most lucrative championship um, in all of the NCAA in all of NCAA history, and it would be the largest sort of annual media fee um, in college sports history as well. So, you know, maybe it's unfair to compare it to the Big Ten's media deal because that's you know all sports. It's also um, it's regular season play versus postseason. Uh, but, you know, the $2.2 billion number is reportedly attainable. Well, what would this mean, though? Help me, help me wrap my mind around it. What would this mean for, say, let's arbitrarily use Ohio State as an mm-hmm. example? What, what could we see Ohio State pulling in via media rights in six years through being a member of the Big Ten as well as the uh, college football playoff? Well, so the, the way the Big Ten's media deal um, is structured is that it's, it's sort of an escalator. So the first couple of years of the new contract, um, the, I wouldn't call the money that they're getting modest, but it's going to be closer to what they're getting now um, from their conference distributions, which is around $50 million, or it was in, uh, in 2020, according to the latest tax returns. Um, 
but it's going to escalate all the way up to potentially 90 million that they're going to get from the conference. Um, and that includes the conference media rights contract and CFP. So if it's going to be nine, if the projection is 90 million, um, you know, by 2028, let's say, or 2029, um, that did that projection didn't include what the CFP doles out. So I mean, well over a hundred million a year, easy for for an Ohio State, well over. So where does that leave a Pac-12 and a Big 12? They're at odds right now. The the Big 12 commissioners already said that they plan on going out west to bring in schools mm-hmm. from the Pacific time zone. Both of those conferences have taken their media rights deals to market. And I find it especially curious that the Pac-12 is doing that because they aren't even sure who's going to be in that league in, let's say, four years what kind of numbers could those conferences expect to get, given the way they look right now and given how we expect them to be structured member-wise in 2025? Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of a, a chicken and egg situation because in order to attract new members, the most, you know, the biggest prize you can offer a potential school is a lucrative media rights contract. But in order to have a lucrative media rights contract, you need to have a slate of really great schools in big media markets, Markets, which, by the way, as a side note, is why I think uh, the Big 12 commissioner is looking, quote, unquote, out west, because he might, you know, be sort of eyeing another major media market, um, because that would increase the value. So it, it's kind of tough to say, you know, exactly how much they could pull in. Um, could they pull in a billion a year? I would be surprised if that was possible, but... I think that, it, you know, it's safe to say that um, media rights for all the Power Five conferences, like the value, is increasing exponentially. And if the Pac-12 and the Big, you know, it's like the Big 12 is losing Texas and Oklahoma, but they're gaining Cincinnati, which we forget is an incredible, incredible program. So I definitely think that sort of the rising tide is going to lift all boats for the Pac-12 and the Big 12. It just depends on whether or not they're going to get sort of picked apart by the Big 10 and the SEC. A, a couple of thoughts on that before we let you go. Also, when you get Cincinnati, people forget you're, you're getting the home of Johnson & Johnson. Company, big brands yeah. that have a lot of money that the more exposure the university gets, the more likely that company, that corporation would be to pump money back into that university and just keep growing it, snowballing it. It's like Memphis. I always felt like Memphis was very attractive because of FedEx. And as soon Mm -hmm. as a big conference picked up Memphis, FedEx would be all in and make that thing even bigger and bigger and bigger. A rising tide would lift all ships. Let me ask you this one question before we let you go. And again, I appreciate your insight and your knowledge. Media markets. And and I see what it can do for a conference brand-wise, having a Los Angeles, having a New York, say, with the Big Ten by having a Rutgers but do they really matter media-wise anymore? And, and by that, I mean this, Amanda. I, I have increasingly over the last few years believed that it is more important to get people to subscribe to something, to invest in something, than to actually worry about if they're in a large TV market. I, I'm looking more for a fat, passionate fan base that's going to put down nine ninety nine a month to get exclusive content about the university, not necessarily because they have $5 million extra sets of eyeballs in a particular Nielsen media market. What's your take? I think that's a great point, um, but I think it's going to to depend on 
sort of this big question that is swirling around these media rights deals right now, which is the role of streaming, right? Um, we were wondering if the Big Ten was going to sign an Amazon or an Apple. Instead, they went with Peacock, right, and with, with NBC's Peacock. Um, I think, you know, and a lot of the Big Ten basketball games, by the way, if you're a Big Ten basketball fan, you need Peacock. So the question then becomes, in the media deal, whatever it sort of shakes out to be, how much of the product is going to be on a streaming service versus linear television? And perhaps that makeup will dictate whether or not it matters if you're in a big media market or whether or not you just have a fan base that's willing to pay. Because they're in, with these media deals, they're going to have to sort of take a bet on whether or not their fan bases are going to be willing to, to get Apple, willing to get Amazon Prime, right? Um, and they're going to have the market research that's going to give them the best guess. But I think it's sort of like it's more the, the way that the media deal is structured is going to determine that. And so if they feel like – if I were a commissioner, which I'm not, no one's asking me to be, I never will be, but if I were, I, I would say, okay, well, if I do I have the big TV markets? Okay, let's go more linear. Do I have a big um, fan base that I think is going to convert subscriptions and streaming? Okay, then maybe that's, that, that's going to be sort of my bread and butter, right? So those are questions that they are all going to be answering over the next year. And it's going to be very interesting to see what they come up with. She's Amanda Kristovich, front office sports. Follow her on Twitter at a Christovich. Amanda, congratulations. You were going in the Scott Hamilton show hall of fame. I'll have my staff get your t-shirt and uh, coffee <laughs> mug ready. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, keep your doors locked. Those sirens are a little concerning. I know. I know. You know, it's, it's New York city. It's never, never a slow day out here. Keep your phone in your hand. You never know. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thank, Thank you. you. It's Amanda Kristovich, front office sports. Follow her on Twitter at a Kristovich. The, the amounts of money, the sums that are just so casually tossed around now, $2 billion for this, $1.1 billion for that, $11.5 million a year. Mind-blowing. If I could go back in time and grab a 10-year-younger Scotty, I would look him in the eyes and say, bruh, brace yourselves. Just be prepared to hear some wacky numbers. And maybe I go back even further and say, dude, be a coach or a TV exec or a commissioner. So there's a lot of cash being thrown around. Blows my mind. It's the Scott Hamilton Show on Thursday.